many people are very afraid of AI because they feel it will actually replace their jobs. I believe it's the contrary is the case. I think AI will augment the job. It will help and relieve us from commodity tasks and actually will make our impact even better with the work we are doing. Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, Human and AI, Mind, Machines and the Gradient Descent. Thanks for tuning in again to listen and to geek out with us over the fascinating field of machine learning and AI, the value of data and the role of human. We are Uli and Avery, and today we are moderating a very, very exciting session. So let me introduce you to our today's genius mind, Hannah Hennig. Hannah is the Chief Information Officer at Siemens. Not only is she a passionate and super experienced technologist, but she's also saying of herself that she's a real Perry Roden connoisseur. I love this passion, actually. Geeky and boldy, right? But I guess we are not waiting on a super intelligence ass, right, to guide us through the galaxy. Well, let's get started right away. Sounds good. So, Hannah, we're super grateful to have you on the show and that you are taking some time off your busy schedule to share some perspectives on our AI podcast. How are you doing and where do we catch you on this sunny afternoon? Yeah, Uli and Avery, thank you very much for having me here today. I'm doing very good despite, I guess, home office. And I guess that's the word where you can find me today indeed is the home office area. Yeah, we all are, right? Yeah. Yeah, so we, we, we always get puzzled, right, by the kids, at least on my side, right? They kick me out and say, like, ah, oh, that's my priority here on the, on the laptop, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and the streaming, you know, of all the other areas like Netflix and co., yeah. of course, are stressing our infrastructure at home, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure, right. So one, one of your mantras seems to be stay hungry, stay foolish. So what, what gets you hungry? Any, any passion you want to share? And when was the last time you felt really foolish? <laughs> well, I guess the question is, you know, what you mean with yummy passion? I mean, it could be on the one side, when you look at food, I must say I have a favorite for truffle pralines, which is my secret and nobody should know. Um, now I'm getting, uh, we don't tell. We don't tell. <laughs> yes. please, please do not do so. And the other thing is, obviously, when I see, you know, exciting times, indeed, you know, technology, because technology is my passion. So one of the topic, topics which I, and it was really great when you asked me whether I would like to record the session with you here, Uli, is indeed AI. And it is indeed, in this case, robotics, you know, and, and cobots, which I also did a, a bet on last year with the CIO magazine. But it's, this is actually, you know, where I'm also getting very much excited about what the future can bring us with, with AI and robotics. And when was the last time you felt foolish? Foolish. Well, I guess you feel foolish as a CIO if you <laughs> have a new uh, tool which you are supposed to explain to your neighbor. And sometimes, you know, your kid tells you how to use it best. For example, Snapchat. I must admit, I'm not a full user of it. And it's my kids basically who tell me how to use it best before I can explain it to a colleague. So these are the times where I really feel frustrated that despite being 25 years in IT and being the CIO, that I'm not always aware of all the latest and greatest tools which I can be using maybe in my spare time even. 
But isn't great that we can always learn something new? So, Hannah, your Vita shows a very impressive world in corporate tour. I mean, you've been at Bosch, Capgemini, Telefonica, Eon, Osram. You've worked in places like London, Houston, and even Hanover. Hannah, what happened there? But probably just talking about your Vita might need an entire episode. But can you maybe give us some highlights about your journey? Was it always your goal to become the CIO? No, actually, uh, for sure not. I mean, if somebody says, maybe there are people who really have the dream, you know, in their childhood, and that's what they realize later. But indeed, for me, it was that I was always passionate about technology. That's true. I, you know, I love science fiction for sure. But when I actually, you know, studied, it was around economics. And I was not sure, you know, what would be my end game. So I, I was thinking, you know, about, yeah, for sure, I could go maybe do things and in, in around um human resources, I could do things in sales, etc. At the end, you know, I started off actually as a programmer and, and uh, with Rims, my company you don't even see in my LinkedIn profile. So in IT, I started off. But actually, after one year, I thought, you know, I've studied economics. So is it something which I want to continue? Like, is, is IT what I want to continue? Should I go back to what I actually studied? So I, I then went to Robert Bosch, where I have been uh, in the controlling area for two years. And during the time, however, I was predominantly implementing SAP and other systems. So it felt like, you know, technology doesn't let me go. And after the time of being with Robert Bosch, I felt like, you know, I need to try out something else. I don't, I will not actually have a combination of technology and the entrepreneurship and business processes, etc. And hence, that's why I decided to go to Capgemini to do consulting and consult on deploy, deploying technology in the business environments. When then, obviously, having been there with Capgemini in US, afterwards, I decided, you know, I don't want to just consult. I want to be responsible. And that's why I actually landed with FIAC Intercom former before it became Telefonica O2 with an IT career, which brought me into the position where I'm today, namely CIO with, of Siemens. Yeah, crazy. Uh, super impressive. No, no <laughs> crazy in a positive sense, I mean, right? So we, well, but speaking of crazy times, right, we are actually in, in very exciting, but also very challenging times, right? Not only for people, but also for business, right? And to be honest, right, I think you kickstarted a bit, bit early already and then, you know, the pandemic hit in and I was, to be honest, really positively surprised and impressed about the scale and the speed of the IT organization in adopting to this crazy times, right? Because, I mean, from one day to the other, everybody was suddenly totally virtual, 100% virtual, right? Where, you know, everybody's located remote, home office, how do you secure this infrastructure, right? You know, it's, it's super crazy because, you know, you can't live the company down and IT was like super impressive. How did you actually, you know, perceive the situation joining in and your team, right? With, and coping with the situation. Can you share a bit? Yeah, Dwayne, and, and again, you said it just now, Uli, you know, it's really the team which made this all happen, you know, to be very, very honest. I think I have to, a pleasure and honor really to work with bright, very good people who in the former times, even before I started, you know, made a very wise decision around moving us into the cloud wherever possible. And also seeing the first sign when China 
went down with the lockdown, where we actually understood that we cannot continue and also potentially get us prepared to moving everybody into uh, the virtual environment. We had to scale up and that was only possible with our cloud tooling, moving away from hardware to software. And that's obviously also the mantra for Siemens in the future, I believe. So that's basically where you know we have deployed technology which has been prepared to a certain degree and has been accelerated because of the flexibility of the team. And again, you know, working as a team, jointed together, cross borders to get us up to speed within actually, I would say one week. You know, usually you would need for this kind of scale up of technologies. Normally in our environment, you know, with this size of company, I would say six to nine months and we did virtually and within one week. So great, you know, great appraisal to the team, you know, who has made this happen. Yeah, that's really impressive. I just recently came across uh, by a study by, uh, from the International Data Group, and they said that 75% of surveyed CIOs identified themselves as transformation agents, and 67% even claimed revenue generation to be among their job responsibilities. And what's your view? Do you identify yourself as a change agent or a revenue enabler? I would say it's definitely a mixture of both. Uh, for sure, the transformation agents, you know, is, is always, and at least for me, you know, for Hannah Hennig, it was always the mantra to say, you know, I see the CIO and his her role as really um, supporting, enabling the business models of an organization, uh, delivering good products with customer impact and with, you know, a good user experience to our external customers as well as internal customers respectively users. So for me, for sure, the transformation agent is absolutely prior number one and it needs to be our obsession. When it comes to claiming revenue generation, I think I would not be as, I, I don't know, you know, I would I would not really claim that I would be the one with, with IT only delivering revenue because there are so many influencing factors which are creating revenue. What I can tell, however, is that for sure, you know, I will do my utmost and I'm doing my utmost with the team to support, for example, the digitization of our sales processes, also ensuring a good, seamless customer journey for our external customers when they are entering our internet websites, our web shops or whatsoever. So e-commerce strategy in that sense is something which absolutely, you know, the IT function, the whole teams have to support our sales colleagues with. Yeah, nice. Uh, you said it already, right? Uh, one of the priorities actually customer impact, right? Everybody demands it, but uh, I think it's also prioritized, right? Also with you spoken out, right? And for me, this obviously is not only reflecting on, you know, how, how close are we to customers or customer proximity is like as a term is, but also asking the right question, right? Isn't it? And that's, that's something for, from an, you know, what's, what's the experience? What's this customer journey like? It's not out of the box comes, you know, asking the right question and seeing the value for customers in first place. How do you motivate and empower the folks in the organization to be more customer empathic, right? And and stepping in the shoes of the customer. It's a, it's a challenge, right? It's It's not an easy thing. No, absolutely not. And again, it's true for IT folks as well as, you know, business colleagues, I would say. Hopefully they would agree with me uh, without sounding too arrogant. You know, the reality is that in particular... Being with Siemens and we are market leader in, in very many areas and we are a company which has been there 
for 172 years, right? So we are an incumbent on the market. And hence, you know, very often we potentially have felt, even in IT, you know, complacent with how we deliver stuff, right? But now it's really about getting the outside in view. And this for me is, you know, part of growth mindset, understanding how we are perceived by our external customers as well as by our users and how well do we the job, right? So obviously we are looking on the one hand by, you know, having, for example, net promoter scores uh, surveys being done with our external customers, also comparing us with competitors and understand how do we perform against competitors and what do our customers expect from us. If you have this sort of say this mirror which you um, look into and then, you know, you get the, the direct feedback on that, that's the best challenge towards your team and how you need to improve. For me, this is the most motivating factor. And then obviously, when you have the next time of questions around how well did you perform and it's improving, then obviously, this is the great uh, motivating factor for everybody that you are able to progress because you have delivered good customer impact. And nice. And one of the, obviously, the mantra actually also in, in, in at least the industrial perspective, also in Siemens, is somehow pushing innovation by combining actually both worlds, the physical and digital world, obviously in infrastructure, in, in industry, in mobility and so on, right? And we do that with the partners uh, together. And, and that means the traditional IT meets OT, you know, thing actually going on. And in principle, it sounds like both of you, right? IT is your world, but OT is also a world, right? How do you see the role of IT in that interface and helping, right, making IT and OT work, actually leveraging? Yeah, absolute important point. You said it, Uli. I mean, for me, you know, IOT, which for me is a combination of IT and OT, is really the next big bad. Yeah, and in particular, us as Siemens, if we are not successful in this area, we will not be successful in the future. So for me, the role of IT, again, is also to be humble about understanding what OT is about and also understand how that technology environment ticks and to understand how we can support the OT environment with the right level of understanding where IT needs to be developing into to create, for example, the right uh, software for respectively how does the hardware need to develop in the future to be steered by software. Also, secondly, you know, to understand how we make things more secure. Also, how we apply open and inner source standards and to deliver the right tool sets for our developing guys, right? So it's about tools and standards which IT has developed over long, over, over the all years, and helping with transforming the culture to uh, accepting both worlds, OT and IT, and also steer both dimensions and both uh, partners. Actually, it's not only both, it's, it's OT, IT, and security into the direction of a common goal. Because as you know, tools is one thing, but uh, the culture is more important. And tools is only enabler if the culture is, is right, then it will not eat strategy for breakfast, as Peter Drucker said. Absolutely. Hannah, so 
unlocking the power of AI in B2B markets has been quite in the focus in the recent years. But if we think a little bit outside the Siemens cosmos, are there any external AI-driven innovations or even breakthroughs that have inspired you or that you feel particularly passionate about? I mean, the question is, you know, um, there are so many bright ideas where AI can be used. And yes, we are using, you are looking at it more from an industrial perspective, but there are also areas, for example, in the narrative AI, where, uh, you know, you have now capabilities with knowledge graphs, etc., where actually there are options where, where you can have your whole article being written by a, a software, which, you know, nobody could ever imagine, but actually it's already happening. So, for example, in U.S. in particular, there are small the news stickers which are created for newspapers or even for online uh, media, etc. You know, it's all created, some, you know, by, by AIs. Or there are, for example, um, the, uh, the text advisors or there are also bank advisors. Yes, yeah, so all these things are already pretty much enhanced by AI. And that's what I think is also important to mention into this in this respect. Many people are very afraid of AI because they feel it will actually replace their jobs. I believe it's the contrary is the case. I think AI will augment the job. It will help and relieve us from commodity tasks and actually will make our impact even better with the work we are doing. So for me, you know, collaboration, collaborative AI is, is the thing which we need to be look, uh, looking out for instead of sort of say seeing AI as being a threat. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, obviously the B2C market is quite hip because it's all about the in this intention economy, right? Um, you know, selling ads and stuff like that. And uh, I think the, the, the main matters, and I hope that the next three years break up, is, is actually personalization. And personalization and automation is actually quite useful in, in, in helping and supporting, right? If you look on an AI in a broader sense, it's especially in corporates, then you can say like there are three different branches, let's say, right? One is gaining efficiency, right, through digitalization and digitization. So digitalization on steroids, let's say. Then you have this correlation on steroids, a bit of machine learning, finding patterns. And then you have actually also quite interesting the automation on steroids, right? RPAs, task automations, um, and helping, you know, making cumbersome tasks a bit more effective. What do you see the, the role of AI and machine learning in your current organizations? Are there any use cases that you're, you're excited and is, you think you can share it with the audience? Yeah, I mean, there are, I think there are a vast amount of topics which, you know, I could uh, could talk about. Uh, reality is, as you said it, Uli, you know, there are, there, we need to differentiate really between RPA, which is robotic process automation, which for me is less of AI, is more automation, as you said it. The true AI is really where you can, out of correlation of data or out of insights of data, you are able to get recommendation provided by the system, which you potentially as a human being were never able to come up with, right? And, and this is something where you maybe sometimes have enough data, sometimes you do not have. You do not have enough data. So what what I'm you know very proud of is is a the fact that we have embarked on on a journey also together with Rudy Basson, who is our business sponsor, on something which we call the intelligent enterprise, which we, means that we want to create more impact uh, with utilizing data analytics and AI by injecting these technologies in each of our business processes to really allow for recommendation and of insights 
which will help us to take decisions ahead of the markets. Yeah. So it could be that uh, by understanding, you know, how much better, you know, and learning from the data, from external data as well, by understanding how, for example, the market will develop in China, you know, we are ready to have products being produced, so to say, ahead of the demand and uh, still not overfilling our inventory with these kind of goods. Yeah. So these are things which we are working on in terms of forecasting. So really automated forecasting on the one hand. Secondly, also to create via IoT platforms like, for example, Gerhard Crest, about, in, you know, creating, uh, taking data out of uh, installed base, which we in some areas still need to create, but with taking this data to allow to provide, uh, you know, SAS services, so as a service business models, where we are, for example, providing uptime of a train or uptime of a machine, etc. So for me, it's really using AI to create a sense out of production and product data, which we are right now working on also in the light of factory digitization, which, which uh, um, I have been honored to start driving with Gunther Beitinger from January on this year, where it is really about, um, you know, using and creating data lakes for the factory environment so that these guys can use these data lakes to create all sorts of use cases to optimize their production environment and, you know, increase their productivity levels beyond what they were able so far to be doing with the regular Six Sigma Lean approaches so far. Yeah, I'm excited to see what, what there's to come. So, Hannah, as the CIO, one could imagine your job to be all about providing the right tools so that the employees can do their jobs in a very productive way for the benefit of the customer. But it ain't that easy, right? So in an age of AI, machine learning and data-driven decision-making, uh, what opportunities do you foresee to be provided by IT? The accessibility and democratization aspect of AI, such as AutoML, for example, seems to be a natural fit. Can you maybe elaborate a bit on that? Yeah, for sure. A very good question. So, I mean, first of all, I would also like to not neglect the fact that we indeed need to provide the right tools for the job for our people, you know, for our Siemens fellows. So that's actually our priority number one which includes also virtual assistants. Yeah, so the Carl of these days or Miri of these days needs to be more interlinked with all the tools we are providing to our people so they can really digest these in a more productive manner than maybe we have been able to provide so far. Now, when it comes to um, democratization of AI, for sure, that's something which we need to continue to work on. And this is, for example, what we again, what we do when I look at an example out of the our manufacturing environment, where, for example, we are providing a so-called factory AI a function where, for example, our blue color colleagues for quality inspection, they can take uh, the the wrong setting of a screw or whatever, you know, they identify as being wrongly set as an error for and also a detection within quality inspection. So basically, we are providing them with a Google automated uh, ML where they are training via a simple camera picture taking the the predefined algorithm, they can train their environments and automate the quality inspection work they are doing with a very simple tooling. And again, this is a, you know, it's a, it's a Google component, which is out there coming out of the box. It has been adjusted by us and made uh, tailored for the use case and can be trained for every colleague in the production line so that he or she can, you know, improve their life in that area. This is just one example, but of course, there are many others where we are looking for things, for example, which we call the data lake to go. 
So, you know, if you would like to get more analysis from several sources of data, which you would then like to apply certain algorithms on, we are providing you a set of uh, data lake, which is there, you know, enterprise wide available, which you can then use for creating your own use cases. And also, we will provide to you then certain algorithms which are out of the box and you can apply depending on the use case you are trying to cover. Oh, awesome. Love that, actually. I'm convinced, right? AI will be the axle of tomorrow, right? It incorporates. It needs to yes. be that kind of accessibility. But how, how do we move faster, right? You you well known and say like you know clear, directed, and you want to go full speed. How do we move faster towards more an AI first company? What are the aspect challenges, or maybe you know also the opportunities along this transformation, which will take a bit of a time? Do you think we need specific data centric roles, and you know? Operating models, others include like we need the CDOs or the chief data officer as well, or is it actually the CIO already covered them? Have you any thoughts on that? Mm. Yeah, you, you, you hit the point, you know, uh, I mean, these are all sorts of type of models which are discussed and also applied in different type of companies and industries. I think, you know, when you think about these kind of transformations, and again, it's it's a marathon, it's not a sprint we are talking about here, you know, you need to always consider the culture you find yourself in, you know, what type of culture does the company have? How can you shape it? How can you use it to ensure that it's really driving, um, you know, the whole, you know, achieving this AI first company uh, or data driven company, as we call it, target. Now, for I think within Siemens, it, it still needs a structure to a certain degree, meaning we need to be talking about things like data governance, uh, roles like data stewards, yeah, uh, people who actually also are providing guiding principles of how data needs to be structured, how should it be maintained, where should it be stored, etc. These kind of things need to be uh, surely provided uh, in the in the back end to a certain degree. But then at the end, it's really about also equipping all our people with the right tools once again. Yeah, being the analytics tool or being the AI tools, they can then apply and also give them an awareness and understanding of where they can apply these tools to be most productive and also not to create, you know, little single silos, but always think about the whole end-to-end -end aspect of the journey. So I think it's not for the CIO only to drive this, for sure, that cannot be. It always needs business counterparts. It always needs a certain structure and ownership, which we definitely need to, in some areas, still to be set up. We are not there yet, for sure. But I can see, on the other, on the other hand, there are many, many bright people who are dealing with AI, who are dealing with data. We just need to ensure that we are aware of all these sources and also create a community, which I believe has formed itself or is forming itself because we have, you know, in your area, as you know, Ulit, technology, we have, you guys have a lab. There is, you know, in the business units, there are labs, data labs, etc. Again, we need to ensure that we are not wasting resources, um, but we are actually joining up forces to arriving at the goal, as you call it, an AI-first company. Yeah, nice. On a geeky level, AI ops is like the hot turf currently, right? Seems to be an, it seems to be an awesome IT centric AI topic, Ashley, right? Because it's somehow it's obviously the the interference and the union of AI and IT operations as these platforms operationalize, aggregate data. You know, we have monitoring, you have service managers, 
you know, you need to contextualize, you have to fuse data, you have new levels of automation, you know, that's all coming from the experience of DevOps and IT ops, actually pretty awesome. So, but it's, if you operationalize machine learning on a shop floor, right? Uh, the line manager on the shop floor, right? It is like, oh, not, right? You're not changing my process here. Can I trust that? Is it secure? Is it reliable, right? So there are also, you know, different stakeholders, I guess, involved here, right? How do we make sure that we can accelerate this fusion of, right? IT network infrastructure and OT, you know, the process changes, you know, on the floor, actually, on, on the data for the factories, uh, effectively. Any thoughts on that? Hmm. First of all, I mean, these are all great terms, Uli, but you know better than myself that in some areas they are not really that far in that sense that they are mature to be applied everywhere. So even, you know, with AI, AI at IT operations, you know, even when I talk to all the big suppliers, they are just at the starting point, but we need to apply it and we do that also within AI. But when it comes to AI in the shop floor, I think what's important, again, is to take the people with us, right? So it, it's really to, about understanding the user journey, the factory worker in whatever role, being, being the, the engineer, being the colleague you know, who looks after the machine, he is, is the service engineer, is it um, the operator? Yes. Yeah? So these kind of roles need to be looked at to understand you know, where can his or her productivity be increased by giving him or her the right tools for the job. And that means, again, to understand which out of these great toolboxes we have, you know, be it Amazon, be it Google, be it our own tooling, you know, Data Lake and so forth, where can we give them the easiest to be used tools so they can apply it themselves? Because we can never think about all the opportunities, you know, there are to really increase productivity in the user or in their in their daily work. So I would say a day in a life of, which we are very often doing, meaning we are looking at the way how somebody is performing his or her work, we then basically look at the opportunities, you know, where can we give him the right tooling in hand, meaning you have, for example, an app which helps him or her to combine its data, which is usually on paper, then in an iPad or whatever, a tablet, and combine it with the right workflows and then give him the opportunity to analyze the data, which again needs to be somehow combined for his or her purposes in a data lake, for example, or an, I would call it data ops environment, which then the person can then look at and say, okay, for this case, I could apply this data. And I give them ideally also with maybe a low-code environment or no-code environment, also an option of designing the right app or the analytics tool or even with some pre-configured algorithm which they are already out there with a little bit of an understanding how this combination could be fruitful uh, that's something which we need to be uh, given to our people again democratization as you call it of it democratization of ai with an easiness of usage of tooling out there this is actually the biggest challenge also for it and ot folks yeah to apply the easy use of tools Absolutely agree, 100%, yes. Sounds cool. And Hannah, we are already at the very last question. So um, I guess you're a role model to a lot of people out there and you've been part of so many fascinating projects. You've worked in different places around the world. Are there any lessons learned that you would like to share with young talents out there who dare to make a difference in large corporations? Yeah, I mean, for sure, as I think you, you said it in the beginning, Uli, and this is, you know, be bold. You know, don't be complacent about that, what you have done so far. 
dare to speak up, dare to think out of the box, really don't get frustrated about existing systems or approaches, you know, really fight for your idea. But of course, don't fight windmills. You have to get generate buy-in from stakeholders. You need to convince via a good business outcome value case. If you do all these things, you know, you will be very successful because in this, I call it the VUCA world, as you know, you know, the volatile world we are facing ourselves in. You can only survive if you always apply a growth mindset and you always are willing to change and you continue to learn, you know, and again, really don't get frustrated, particularly in, in big companies like Siemens. You know, very often I hear that young people are saying, oh, you know, these things uh, I cannot move because, you know, this has been done, always done the same way in the past and it's the not invented here syndrome, etc. Again, I would say I think um, Siemens has a good culture. People are receptive. And if you really provide the right value proposition and, uh, and get the right business stakeholder involved, you will be successful. Beautiful advice. Thanks so much for sharing. And thanks so much for your time and for all the exciting and inspiring insights. It was a real pleasure to have you. Uh, but before we finish this episode, we want to play our final game with you, Authentic Autocomplete. So let me give you for the closing a couple of sentence starters and you will finish. Are you ready? Yep. Perfect. So Siemens is? A great Fantastic company. I like that. Information technology is? A digital booster. Agree. Innovation is? The core of our business. The world should have more of? Boldness. Oh, I love that. Beautiful. <laughs> Last but not least, it's a quite tough one. If I could invent a rule for everyone in the world to follow, it would be? Break up the silos. Hannah, thanks so much for, you know, being used, being that bold, being that, you know, actually condensed. I, you know, we, it was tough interface and question and there's so much content in there. So we're really, really glad that you took some time of your business calendar out and being that passionate and open, sharing your insights with us. Uh, thanks so much, right? Thank you, guys. It was really a pressure and I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Folks out there, stay tuned. There's, uh, I don't know what to come, right? Can't be get better, right? But stay bold, committed and open-minded and we hear us at the next Siemens Airlab podcast. Thanks. Mm -hmm.